In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. This is the fifth Sunday after Easter, and we're starting to turn our attention to the Ascension of the Lord. The Ascension is that feast between Easter and Pentecost. It's the 40th day after the Resurrection. So we're counting uh, two different simultaneous countdowns, if you will. The first one is Easter to Pentecost, a week of weeks, seven times seven, so 49 days, and then the 50th day of Pentecost. The other one is 40 days, which is the ascension uh, to uh, Easter to the ascension. So those 40 days that Jesus walks with uh, the apostles, the disciples, and appears to them and reveals himself to them. And so now we're getting very close to the ascension, and so our our lectionary, our thoughts are turning towards what that means, what it is that Jesus does. He prepares the disciples for that. He talks to them about what the ascension means, and he does that in John's Gospel here in the upper room. John's Gospel is a unique one because the Last Supper, his time in the upper room, happens very early in the Gospel, where most of them it's the last couple of chapters that in very quick sequence we get the Last Supper, the betrayal, and his crucifixion. In John's Gospel, we're all the way here in uh, chapter 14, and we're already at the Last Supper, and Jesus spends several chapters of the Gospel talking and teaching with them and preparing them for what this means, what the ascension means. And he says something very uh, wonderful that uh, we say, especially uh, we read it at funerals a lot, which is, I go to prepare a place for you that there are many mansions or rooms. And Christian writers throughout the centuries have drawn beautiful pictures of poetry and song about what these mansions are, what they mean. It seems to be that the, the mansion or the room is an understanding that each one of us is going to be in heaven as individuals, that there's a, a maintenance of our individuality, of our uniqueness in the Lord that's preserved so that we each have this dwelling place that's unique to us, that's beautiful to us as individuals. The, the opening onto the room seems to be a painting of a kind of an ancient Roman villa where you'd have the, uh, the fountain, the living water continually uh, flowing in the middle of the courtyard and then all these rooms, perhaps multiple stories, opening up onto that central courtyard so that each person dwelling in the room has their own place, their own secure dwelling, but that each one is looking down upon the other and upon that central courtyard. So there's this incredible uniqueness and fellowship at the same time. We're dwelling with each other and yet separate and we're always present to the Lord, always looking to to that fountain and dwelling with Him. So it's a beautiful understanding that we all uh, are going to be living in our Father's house together and dwelling with Him in this place. And Jesus, uh, again for us in John's Gospel, which he's done throughout, paints this wonderful picture of what it means to dwell with, with him, what it means to be in him. And he says that we will be in him in the same way that he's in the Father. And he does this in a kind of a figure eight. So Jesus says, the Father is in me, is in the Son, as the Son is in the believer. And the believer is in the Son, as the Son is in the Father. So we get this continual figure eight, right? The Father is in the Son, the Son is in the believer, the believer is in the Son. And we read that Jesus is in the Father, that the Son is in the Father due to his obedience. He says, I speak the words my Father gives me to speak. I do the things that my Father has given me to do. So there's this, uh, this incredible obedience and humility that the Son has to the Father. Though he is God, 
he doesn't lord it. He accepts his humility to the Father. And he says, if we're to be in him in the same way, we too have to be obedient in that same humble way. That's it. Easy enough, huh? Right. Unless you've tried it, and then you realize it's a lot more difficult than it seems, right? To get that obedience. And both of our lessons today talk about different kinds of of that dwelling with that obedience. The first one is Deuteronomy. And of course, Moses is telling the people, look, the Lord has brought you out of slavery, brought you out of slavery to your own passions, to your own willful desires, and to the freedom of dwelling with God. All you've got to do is follow his commandments. That's what it means to dwell with God, is to be obedient to Him. And so we get this understanding of of the purposes of God and the laws of God. And we get over and over again that you're supposed to fear the Lord, which is essential, right? We have to have a fear of the consequences of not following Him in order to even keep our attention, right? We have to have a fear of consequence. That's just part of the natural world. There's always a fear of consequence. The difference with the fear of the Lord is it's the only fear we're supposed to have. And the fear of all other things get in the way of our fear of God, right? If we fear poverty or disease or war or famine, we start to, to shield ourselves and we start to live these insular, um, you know, fearful lives. Rather, we're supposed to be bold. We're only supposed to be answerable to God, uh, but indeed answerable to Him. So He's going to say, I gave you family, I gave you friends, I gave you uh, money, I gave you time, I gave you work. What, what did you do? with what I gave you to do. And if we say, I was afraid, so I hid everything, you remember how that turns out with the parable of the talents. Rather, we're supposed to be bold and we're supposed to be uh, acting out uh, with those talents in bold ways. To do that, we have to have um, a central aspect. And, And this gets said in lots of different ways. Um, Hungering and thirsting is one way that we talk about it a lot, right? That we have to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We have to have that desire to do what God wants us to do. And and St. Peter's uh, letter here, he says we have to long for spiritual milk. We have to long for it. Longing is a dangerous thing, right? I've longed for a few things in my life, right? I longed for a, 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 a digital watch when they first became affordable, you know, in the early 80s. Oh, man, I wanted that watch so bad. I saved my quarters. I asked my parents what kind of chores could I do. Uh, my first BMX bike, man, I had pictures of BMX bikes on the walls, and I was working so hard to save up. Um, you know, when I met Erin, I knew every class she had. I knew which way she walked to class. I knew where she sat in the cafeteria, right? I knew when it was that she was going to visit her parents. I had my focus. Schoolwork kind of fell away at that point, right? My focus and longing was was on her. Uh, We know that if that longing gets put in the wrong place, it can destroy our lives. But if our longing, our hunger, our thirst is for the Lord and His ways, uh, then we get fed. And he says uh, we're supposed to long for spiritual milk. And that when we receive that spiritual milk, he says, then we start to grow. We grow into salvation. Isn't that great? Sometimes salvation gets uh, taught to us like it's this golden ticket. You got saved. There it is. Put it in your back pocket. Wait until you get hit by a bus. And then after you get hit by a bus, you can say, oh, I've got my salvation ticket, right? This is not how the scriptures talk about it at all. We grow into salvation. We grow into the ways of the Lord, right? We're growing up into the way that we dwell with him. 
And of course, when I think about growing up and growing into ways, I of course think of my own father and the things that we would do together. Uh, he started taking me backpacking when I was about eight years old. We'd go up to uh, Mount Charleston or the Spring Mountain Range, and there's some fabulous trails there uh, where you can go backpacking for several days and not see another person. Um, and for good reason, because they're treacherous trails. We'd go between Lee Canyon and Kyle Canyon, and uh, we'd go along the Bristlecone Trail, Robber's Roost, around the foot of Mummy Mountain and Mummy Creek, um, you know, eight, 9,000 feet along ravines that went down 1,000 feet and great granite ledges. And, uh, of course, the weather in the desert is extreme. You can drop or climb 30 degrees in a day, and especially at that altitude. So many times I remember incredible rainstorms and once a hailstorm pelting us with 60 mile per hour winds along this granite ledge in this ravine below us and I was terrified right for good reason and my dad just said you hold my hand and you look at me you don't look down you look at me and you look at where I'm walking you step where I step so he led the way and I walked in his ways right uh, I was more concerned then at that point about my dad and focusing upon him than the dangers that were around us. Uh, would I change that in a million years? No. Was that incredibly dangerous? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but that's life, right? There's no reward without risk. It's dangerous. And anybody that tells you that being a Christian isn't dangerous hasn't read one chapter of church history, hasn't read the life of the apostles, and hasn't really understood what Jesus has done for us in the crucifixion, right? Uh, there is no safety in the faith. It is a dangerous place to be. It's a dangerous place to be in the hands of the living God. Uh, but it's beautiful at the same time. We will come into wonders that we could not ask for or imagine if we would but be afraid only of him and be willing to answer his call to this beautiful life because it's beautiful, but it's not safe. May we dwell in his beauty with our eyes fixed upon him, longing for his ways this day and forevermore. Amen.